that amen, I think it was either 96 or 97, right after I'd gotten out of the Army, and they were ministering in Taiwan, came in over to help our missionaries, and they came up for my wife's First Ladies Conference, and from that time, we have built a, a strong friendship. They have came back to Okinawa and filled in for us and and just preached for us and helped us in every way when we was missionaries and on deputation. Amen. They just helped us get over the top of the budget that we needed to have and everything. So they have been really good friends, and I've been trying to get them to move to Wisconsin. <laughs> you know, But uh, they pastor a great church in the inner cities, inner city church, amen, in downtown Kansas City. And so, Brother Oberg, sir, come and take your liberty in the Lord and bless us with the word of Good. That's what Sister Parker says. and uh, You can be seated for a moment. When she said that this morning, of course, it brought me back to what I say every time I get in my pulpit in Kansas City. The first thing I say is, God is good. I appreciate being here this morning. I learned how to be strong and courageous with Brother Parker. I learned that God's mercy endureth forever. And uh, we came up here Monday. We've been up here since uh, Monday. And I have to tell you, I love La Crosse, Wisconsin. It reminds can I take my tie loose? Uh, it reminds me quite a bit of my hometown. I was born and raised in a little town called Herman, Missouri. About 2,500 people on the Missouri River, and Sister Parker, I did fall into the Mississippi one time. And I can tell you the current is very strong. I was pushed off. The barge, or excuse me, a towboat, or not a towboat, we were breaking up tow, and uh, we were dredging a uh, channel for barges to go up and down. And so when I look at your lights last night, I've been top of your hill where your flag is. I'm taking home cheese, probably 10 or 12 uh, different kinds of cheeses. I'm taking home cow tails, <laughs> ate some curds. Man, we did the whole thing. And it's uh, can't take curds home. I'm told they might uh, spoil by the time we get home. But it's been a wonderful time. We we do we do love your pastor and his wife. We we love them very much. We have been with them. I love the military. I got to be honest with you. I think the military is great. The thing I remember most about our meeting, and I tell everybody everywhere I go, that Brother Parker sings the psalms. Didn't hear him sing them this morning, but they are good. God is good. We are blessed. How many's ever had a bad week? Nobody here's ever had a bad week. You've never gone through anything, right? Sister Oberg and I, and it's kind of normal. We pastor a, we pastor an inner city church, and we run into all kinds of things. And since I left uh, Kansas City on Monday. One of our men in our church, who I just talked to Sunday, he uh, had a heart attack, and he died. 
just goes to show you that you never know uh, when something bad will happen. One of our other people got upset. We got a young lady in our church that uh, I got a uh, text message from. She has kidney stones. Got another one this morning right before we got it here, uh, or she lost her love of her life. And so things happen, right? I'm not coming here to rain on your parade. I'm not doing that at all, but I, things just happen. And I want to spend a few moments today talking about those things. If you'll stand with me, will you stand with me this morning? I'm so happy to be here. La Crosse, Wisconsin will be forever etched in my heart. We're in the book of Psalms. Psalm 139. And I'm going to read verse 7 through 12. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkest darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. If you love the Lord, you can be seated. Psalm 139, 11 and 12, Moffat's edition says, If I say the dark will screen me, night will hide me in its curtains. Yet darkness is not dark to thee, the night is clear as daylight. If you read these psalms, and I read them all the time, I, I enjoy reading the psalms. David is one of my favorite people. Paul is another one of my David favorite people. And sometimes when we go through things, I will read from the psalms quite a bit. There are some biblical scholars who believe that David wrote this particular psalm during a time of deep disappointment in his life. And we'll cover that pretty soon. Israel at this point in time has been united under the leadership of the shepherd king David. Foes are no longer troubling them, and if they do so choose to go against Israel, we find at this particular time that great armies are able to defeat all the enemies of Israel. It is also a time of stable national security and welfare. It's also a time where the internal strife that is present from the leadership of Saul has been kind of put to rest. In other words, it's a time in which David could chill a little bit. He could relax. And at this time that he's writing this, he starts to contemplate the goodness of God and all that he's done for him both personally and for his own family. In such a state of heart, sometimes I know with me, when I start thinking about how good God has been to Sister Oberg and I, I come, I often, my mindset goes to wanting to do something extra special for God. 
And it is believed that David's mindset had gone at this time wanting to do something for God. It's a good feeling. And these are the times that sometimes we are totally inspired. And our inspiration seems to flow at its highest crest in our life when God has been so good. And we're sitting back, we're relaxing. We just had a good Thanksgiving dinner. Our bills are paid and everything's going going good. And during this time of thoughts uh, and leanings toward God, David, he's starting to consider uh, who this great God really is. David has written psalms. He's written psalms about him. He has exalted him in worship, and it occurs to David that God's place of dwelling is far lacking as to what it really ought to be. I'm one of these guys that I think the church ought to be more beautiful than our homes. I've always felt that way about it and always wanted my my church, the church I attended, the church I pastored, to be something really special for God. And at this time, David is thinking about this, and he observes that his house is one of cedars, and God's house is one of curtains, First Chronicles 17 and 1. David is living in a grand home, and yet in startling contrast, God is still confined uh, to the tent of the tabernacle. So David gives himself to a dream of building the Lord a more permanent, and he wants to build him some grand temple. But this dream is bigger than he is, and so he decides he's going to seek out the prophet Nathan. He's going to include the pastor. He's going to improve, include Nathan, uh, this prophet, into his plans. He's going to get some advice. And we should seek advice from our, advice from our spiritual leaders, no matter what we go through in life. And so Nathan hears out David, and Nathan encourages him to do it in First Chronicles 17 and 2. But there's something that transpires during the night. Nathan, being the prophet, finds a voice of the Lord come to him during the night. And that voice of the Lord in First Chronicles 17, verses 3 through 15, gives Nathan a clear directive that even though uh, this grand and noble desire was in the heart of David, it was not to be. David wasn't going to build it. David couldn't build it. He could not build the temple. In fact, David's son would build the temple. So Nathan, on the next day, he reports back to David the very disconcerting uh, news of the reversal and tells him, you, you can't build a temple, David. I'm sorry, man. David's re- response shows the depth of the man that he is. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles 17 and 2 Samuel chapter 7 in which he gives an assurance to God that even though greatly disappointed, he's going to take God at his word. Church, sometimes uh, you can be disappointed, but you've got to rest assured in, in what God wants. He knows better than you do what you should be doing in your life and what things you should be doing. There are times in life when God teaches more from his denials than from his permissions. And just because God denies us of a thing in our life does not mean that we have disappointed God, nor that we are out of His will. 
It just means that God knows more about our destiny and our future than we do. And often the denials in life are the things that will preserve us in the future. You see, history is full of examples of where uh, of where that God seemingly smothered a, a good idea or something that seemed to be great uh, uh, a vision to men. And with later years that God would reveal to David why he could not build a temple. But for now, and so do we, when God tells us no, when God tells us we can't do something, when God puts the brakes on us, we just have to learn to trust in God. We just have to learn that no matter what God refuses in our life, that we trust in Him. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. You determined to do something great in life, and we as preachers, we, we got these big dreams. We're going to have this big church, uh, this mega church, and all this singing's going to be great, and everybody's going to love us. doesn't always happen that way. For prevailing circumstances stop us sometimes in our tracks. I can recall more than one or two times in my life that I was filled with some great vision or accomplishment or desire that God seemingly closed the door to what I was longing to achieve and pursue. I have friends who wanted to be missionary. I'll never forget it. I was at General Conference one time. And I knew a, a man that lived in the suburb of Kansas City. He had a great desire to be a missionary. And he was going to go before the board. And he was going to conquer the world. I saw him after he met the Foreign Missions Board. He was walking outside the auditorium where the service would be held. And I said, uh, did you make it, man? I said, have you made it? He said, no. Said I didn't have enough experience. I said, "What are you going to do?" He said, "I'm going to go get some experience." That man never did accomplish anything in the mission field. He went to a couple places, but everything kind of failed on him. Sometimes God just says no. I have friends who maybe wanted to pastor churches, but sometimes God said no. I have. Friends who wanted to, to get an inside track into a particular mis, ministry, and, and God said no. I know people who determined to get involved in some particular career track, and God said no. I have, I know people who were moving in the direction of something held dear to them. And some circumstance beyond their control stopped them. God said no. I know people who get involved in some very noble and righteous causes. God stops them, halts them. I know people who desperately wanted healing. And I know on our way up here, when we got the call, we got the call, and, and this man, this man was living and vital. I mean, what a precious man. And I talked to him before I left the church Sunday. He was very, very, one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life. And they called, and his wife called me. She said her husband went to the store to get her something before he went to bed. On his way to the store, he ran into something. He had had a heart attack. 
She called and we prayed and we prayed and, 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 and we wanted that healing to come. We needed that healing. God said no. I know people who prayed many prayers and fasting. God said no. A guy by the name of J.C. Riles said this. He said, of all the doctrines of the Bible, none is so offensive to human nature as the doctrine of God's sovereignty. I sometimes look to the Bible, and I see the reaction of the characters and realize how weak and spiritually mature that I am at times. You could run through the gamut of characters in the Bible from Noah to Abraham to Job to David to the prophets, to the apostles, and to the minor characters that Paul mentions in the salutations of his epistles, and you can see how much they gave for their God. And so David, with deep disappointment, gave himself to worship. And from that, that experience, biblical scholars say that Psalm 139 poured out of him during this time. Instead of giving himself to anger, instead of giving himself to mistrust or doubting or even pouting, David gives himself to worship and the majesty of the God-exalting Psalm 139. You see, church, how you react uh, to the directions uh, of the prophet or how we react to the times God says no makes all the difference in the world. I call it having to walk the dark mile. I call it walking the dark mile. I read a story one time I don't want to share with you. I read a lot, and uh, a lot of things that I read I try to, to weave into certain messages. I find sometimes people sleep, and i got to bring a... I, I got to bring them a story that'll perk them up. Sometimes I got to raise my voice a little bit. They get tired. Richard Hutton told them an account that he was in Scotland. He was traveling a number of years ago in Scotland, and he arrived at one place that was literally loaded with lakes. And he found a very attractive little inn. And it was situated on one of the shorelines. And after having spent a very relaxed evening in this little inn, they took up their travels the next morning. And Hutton asked the innkeeper where the most beautiful lake in Scotland was. Speaking of lakes, I found out some. Brother Parker told me there were more lakes in Wisconsin than there were in Minnesota, go Green Bay. Anyway, the most beautiful lake is in Scotland. And the innkeeper told him that it was Lake Lachie. He explained that it was only about four miles away, and, and then he traced the path for them on their map. And the route that he traced was meandering and somewhat out of the way, at least from the appearance that's what uh, Mr. Hutton had surmised. So he asked the innkeeper, is this the only way to get to the lake? And the innkeeper told him that there was another way, but no one ever went that way by choice. 
because the path ran through a very deep gorge and was commonly called the Dark Mile. And this intrigued Hutton, who asked how the path had come to such a name. And the innkeeper told him uh, that it was exactly what the name implied. It was dark, it was gloomy, and at times it was frightening. There are, he said, there are huge overhanging ledges of rock that drip water all the time. The path is slippery, like a slippery thread, and the growth along the path is very stunted and pale. And the dark mile had its share of dangers, and it was very foreboding to anybody that traveled this. Hutton and his fellow traveler, uh, they left the inn and had not gone too far down the road when Hutton turned to his friend and he asked him uh, if he was game to try the dark mile. Now, if you've been around Sister Parker long enough, you, she'll give you a thumbs up once in a while. And so, being the adventurous horse, his friend gave him the thumbs up and they descended into a deep gorge. They had not traveled very far when Hutton pointed straight up, and much to his surprise, when he pointed straight up, he was able to pick out a few stars in the sky. He remembered the old line, when it's dark enough, you can see the stars. And so uh, he was able to, to pick out these stars, and it, they traveled uh, along the way, and they picked their way uh, carefully along the treacherous path, and suddenly they came out of the mouth of the gorge in the mountains that gave backdrop to Lake Lochi, literally took their breath. When they came out, they saw some of the most beautiful stuff they ever saw in their their life. It was never to be a forgotten sight. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen something that is just stunning and you Take it with you the rest of your life. Hutton, Hutton said, uh, that, uh, uh, said that his friend said, I don't believe that we could have ever appreciated the beauty of the Lake Luchi if we hadn't traveled the dark mile. He said, we never would have enjoyed this beautiful sight, this beautiful backdrop, if we hadn't had traveled that treacherous road to the lake. It's amazing. That night at another small inn in Scotland, Hope Hutton wrote in his journal three statements that shaped the thoughts for me, myself, when I read them. He wrote three things, and I want to bring them to you, and I won't stay a long time. The first thing he wrote, he said, nobody travels the dark mile by choice. The second thing he wrote, when it's dark enough, you can see the stars. And the third thing he wrote was, we never would have appreciated the beauty of the lake if we had not traveled the dark mile. Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers that there ever was. Charles Spurgeon says, Stars may be seen from the bottom of a deep well when they cannot be discerned from the top of a mountain. So are many things learned in adversity when a prosperous man only dreams of. He also said that the Lord gets His best soldiers 
out of the highlands of affliction. So I want to cover this. The dark mile is not traveled by choice. You see, David here, it was not a question of sin in David's life at this point. And his ideal to build this uh, this tabernacle or this temple for the Lord was really motivated by a right heart with God. He had a good heart, and his motivation was right. He longed to do something magnificent for God because God had been so good to him. And he wanted to do something. And the choice of building the temple was what David wanted to do. But dark miles, dark miles are not traveled by choice. Church, you don't make the decision. Sometimes we, 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 of course, we make decisions. We make choices and we make the wrong ones. But sometimes in our life, even when we are motivated for doing something for God, the dark miles are not traveled by choice. All. You see, sometimes we are pressed into its path by disappointments, not disobedience. Stay with me. Sometimes we're disappointed. Doesn't mean we're disobedient. We walk the dark miles so that God can often redirect us into something that will be greater for His purpose. Sometimes our thinking is a little shallow. And sometimes God's got something greater for us. Sometimes God says, no, you can't do it. You can only prepare for it. But He's got something greater down the line. You see, how many people have you ever met over the years who who had mapped out their entire lives and it did not occur the way they had in mind? You see, church, sometimes the devil would love for you to be overwhelmed by guilt and the ineffectiveness that is created by it. Have you ever considered that this is exactly the direction that God wanted in your life from the outset? Have you ever really considered when you sat there and you had these big dreams, these things, and all of a sudden the disappointments come and God wants to get greater purpose out of your life? The second thing he wrote in his book was very simple. When it's dark enough, you can see the stars in the dark mile. First, nobody travels the dark mile by by choice. Second, when it's dark enough, you can see the stars. Let me help you with a secret. Not everybody in this building is called to build a temple. I I got an old brother in church. They come me, man, they're, they're wanting to teach here and they're wanting to teach there and they're wanting to sing hallelujahs and all this stuff. But it doesn't always work that way. You see, God calls us, every one of us, to do things that are unique to our own lives. And we can get into spiritual or serious spiritual dilemmas when we try to do something that someone else is supposed to do. And when you begin to just read through Second Samuel chapter 7, you notice that David becomes thankful for the simple things that God has given to him. You need to be thankful. You need to be like Brother and Sister Parker. You need to be like Sister Parker this morning that is thankful for some of those things that we take for granted. You need to understand that. 
And when you begin to read through Second Samuel 7, you see this unfolding. And you see David spending the rest of his life gathering material for Solomon to build a temple and fulfill the dream that he had. This is how you invest your life. When God tells you no, you begin to see it as an opportunity to gather resources to build the hearts of others. Martha Snell Nicholson wrote Treasures. Here's what she wrote. One by one, he took them from me. All the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked the earth's uh, highways grieving in my rags and poverty till I heard his voice and body lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands that were already full. You see, church, there are a lot of stars that we can see in the dark mind. If we give ourselves to that vision, you see, because God's refusals are loaded with immeasurable possibilities of a blessing, that thing you may go through, you may be going through right now, today, on this beautiful Sunday in La Crosse, Wisconsin, is probably going to be a blessing to you somewhere along that dark mile. So before you allow yourself to be ruled with resentment, it would be very advantageous to look for the blessing. You're going to hear me now. You've got to look for the blessing. I'm going to say it one more time. Sometimes you can't say you don't listen to it. You've got to look for the blessing in the no. You with me? The third thing. First, nobody travels the dark mile by choice. When, second, when it's dark enough, you can see the star. Third, we see more beauty by traveling the dark mile. You see, David, he was going to have a lot of dark miles to travel before he died. He would watch his sons and daughters get involved in all sorts of desperate situations. He would have his kingship to, uh, to be attempted to be overthrown in a political coup. Some of his closest confidants were going to turn on him, but he had the, he had the heart of a man after uh, God's own heart. Over and over and over pours out of the psalm. His worship pours out of the Psalms, over and over and over. Of the 150 Psalms, 75 for sure are attributed to having been written by David. And if you look at them, you're going to see where he worshiped and he praised God. One of the greatest tragedies of life is that we can live a trivial life and get away with it. Pain and burdens come in our life, oftentimes are an advantage that forces us to break through that superficial crust to discover life 
at a much deeper level. You've, when you can break through and when you can worship and you can walk that dark mile, your spiritual life and your whole life begins to change and it becomes a deeper level. whole lot of life can be worry, wasted worrying with the no. There's too many people walking around all worried and all hung out over a, a no. I know that God places in front of you sometimes. Stay with me. I know that He places in front of us sometimes. Casting about and we we cast about looking for something else bigger, better, and faster. Thomas Aquinas told the story of a man who heard about a very special ox. Probably heard this story many times. We talk about it many times. He traveled all over the country looking, spending a fortune looking for a special ox. And at last, just once before he consumed his life, he realized he'd been riding that ox all the time. Sometimes what we've got right on front of us, sometimes what we have is the very fortune that we're looking for. Most people have everything they need, even in the most difficult situations. If we would just accept that God has us exactly where He wants us to be. Romans 11, 33-36. Over the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out for whom hath known the mind of the Lord, and who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him all things are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Present. Got a poem here I want to read to you. I'm full of stories and poems. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors, it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry hair, it was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of holiday season was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the, re- and the respect, I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated it was middle age, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitation, my life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? I beg you, I plead with you to... Do everything within your power to understand contentment and not to curse the dark miles of your life. Instead of avenues of despair, they are pathways toward power. There's a man by the name of Randy Alcorn. The story behind his life was he had to walk the dark mile, came in, January of 1989, knowing that it would greatly 
complicate his pastoral ministry, he began to participate in nonviolent and peaceful civil disobedience by picketing abortion clinics in Portland, Oregon. He went to jail for a few days and had to endure the humiliation at the hands of the guards, the clinic nurse who didn't believe he was a diabetic. Finally, when she convinced that he was, she came by the cell and she threw syringes and a vial of insulin into the cell. Another time, he went to court and the judge ordered his hands and feet to be shackled and chained. Then he had to walk down the sidewalk in front of a bank of cameras. He was humiliated on local network news and the front pages of newspaper all across the nation. The abortion clinic sued him. He would then decided to keep from paying the money he was receiving as a salary from the church that he would just resign. He did this at the threat of garnishment of his wages. He then determined he would work for minimum wage so that his income would not be taken. And to this day, this continues. He's still working for minimum wage. None of the books that he was written has benefited him from a monetary standpoint. None of the honorariums he received at a conference goes to him. All the money above minimum wage has gone to support pro-life causes, overseas missions. The greatest challenge he spoke of had to do with his own children. They would be criticized at school because of his involvement of in the pro-life movement. They witnessed in the courtroom battles how that many of the supporters of the pro-life movement were misrepresented and had to endure false accusations. But through all the persecution, through all of it, Alcorn said he found a God that he never knew existed. You see, church, sometimes through all those things that happen to you when you're walking that dark mile, when all those things are coming against you and you feel that nothing is ever going to be any good anymore, this man found a God that he knew he didn't know existed. And even sometimes as Pentecostals who know who God is, who worship the one true God, when we go through these things, and we, we, we make it, and there's no other cause that we care about in our lives. And no matter how weary we get, we lift up our hands, and we worship God, and we find that strength and power of God that we never knew existed before in our life. And we can find that strength and power of God that we never knew existed before when we're walking that, that, that dark mile. I wonder how many times some of us here have said and cursed the dark mile. I wonder how many times we've sat down and we thought that we were the only people that ever went through anything. 
that ever had any discouragement. I wonder how many times we've done that. We curse the dark mile when God was really wanting us to see the blessings and the joy of what it would do to elevate us in our walk with God. God is such a good God. I love Him very much. Our church back home, I spent time telling them about Thanksgiving. I don't know, uh, and I'm sure this church here has done the same. It's really a good thing. I was studying something one day, and I want to share it with you if I can. It's in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 8. The Scripture says, Moreover, the Levites, Yeshua, Ben-Nuai, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, which is over the thanksgiving, he and his brethren. Thanksgiving. The Levites were in charge of thanksgiving. And if you really look at the Scripture, uh, you'll find, and uh, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick down here, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that should shew forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy. His mercy should endure forever, but now hath obtained mercy. You see, all of us are a type of the Levitical priesthood. Peter said, we, we are a holy priesthood. I want to share something with you. And uh, I shared with our church, and maybe you, you'll get something out of it. I went down and I broke the names down. I broke all the Levites' names down. And back in the biblical times, back in the biblical times, your name was very important. It implied something. And I started looking at the names. Okay? The first name that was mentioned was Yeshua. Okay? In the Hebrew, this word is defined as the one who saved. It's mentioned first. And we should always put God first. The second name mentioned was Benuah. In the Hebrew, it means to make repair. Jesus comes first. He comes in and he makes repair of our broken lives. And then the third name mentioned is Cadmiel, which means the presence of God. And in this context that is written, and so it means it is interchangeable with the Spirit of God. So we should be thankful that we have the presence of God in our life. And this morning, as I watched you lift up your hands, as Brother Parker was singing songs, some of you felt the presence of the Lord. And during this Thanksgiving season, you should be thankful. For the presence of the Lord. Now, the fourth name mentioned is 
Sherebiah, which means the fire of God, the fire of God. And I'm going to link that together with Judah, which means the praise, to praise the Lord. You put those two together. And if you look in the Bible, you will find that fire is mentioned 549 times. And it is figurative for many things. But I want to mention one to you. And I'm going to try to tie it in with that dark mile. Malachi 3 and 2 says, But who may abide that day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? Somebody said this morning that he's coming soon. I'm going to say it again. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire, and like fuller soap. And he shall set his refiner and purifier servant of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Refiner's fire. You see, sometimes when we're going through things, we're being refined, okay? So don't curse the fire. Don't curse the dark mile. You need to thank the refiner that he's watching you all along. You thought you were going to be consumed. You thought that that dark mile you were going through is something awful. But he knew how bad you needed to reflect his image So he turned up the flames in your life to purify you. Now, I'm going to try. Just give me a couple more minutes. The birthing place uh, is Judah. You've got to look at the spiritual connection here. You've got to look. Malachi 3 and 3. He said, he shall set his refiner, purifier, silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and then purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah which means praise, and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. First Peter 1 and 7 said, Then the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise Judah and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, simple church, God takes you through the fire. So you can praise Him that much more. You see, some people want to praise the Lord without the fire. But they're still impure. Huh? So you need to sit there and look at your neighbor, and you need to say, Be thankful that you went through the fire. Be thankful that you went through the dark mile. Because it was the birthing of your praise. I got one more thing to say. Mataniah means the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God. Acts 2.38. And Peter said, that he repent, be baptized, or what in the name of Lord Jesus Christ may you say, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's the gift? You see, You can thank God for the Holy Ghost. Got one more thing to say.
I'm going to give it to your pastor. I appreciate being here. I love Brother and Sister Parker very much. What a blessing it's been for us. But let me add something to you today. One thing. It says that the Levites were in charge of thanksgiving. It means they rotated chips. Kind of like Brother and Sister Parker will do on, on Saturday the 16th or whatever it is where they go out and ring the bell. Their shifts, they do it two to four. But there'll be others before and after. And so the Levites were in charge of Thanksgiving, and that means uh, they rotated shifts. And the Levites, they sung thankful hymns unto the Lord. That's what Thanksgiving was about. But the Hebrew word, you excited yet? I got a guy, I got a guy at church when he gets up and teaches, he says, Are you excited yet? The Hebrew word for Thanksgiving, the way it is used in this scripture is hoy doubt. H U Y D O W T is the Hebrew word for it. I don't know if you know what it means or not. But that word, the way it's used in this place, in this scripture, it means shout. So if you're thankful, you ought to be up shouting and praising the Lord that He took you through the dark mile and He refined you so you could define your worship and that you could mature as a Christian and become the Christian that you should be. Ain't God good? Hallelujah. Let's stand and worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Thank God for those dark mouths. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.